You're listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is a replay from the virtual live broadcast series titled Women's Health 2020, Beyond the Annual Visit, provided by Omnia Education. Before beginning this activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Welcome, everybody. I'm delighted to be to have this opportunity to address everybody. Let's define our learning objectives. We're going to talk about some of the signs and symptoms, but more importantly, diagnostic testing for vulvovaginal candidiasis, also called candida vaginitis. Uh, we, will <clears throat> we will define the criteria by which VVC infections are defined as uncomplicated and complicated, which is critical for therapeutic needs. And we'll discuss the advantages, the limitations of existing therapy, as well as the possibilities of new and novel therapeutic interventions for VVC. Let's start off by talking about the epidemiology uh, of vulvovaginal candidiasis. As you know, worldwide, candida vaginitis, and specifically women who suffer from recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis, is a worldwide phenomenon, uh, second only to bacterial vaginosis in frequency, and in some countries, ahead of bacterial vaginosis. Uh, affecting women in all social stratas worldwide. And it's estimated that approximately 138 million women <clears throat> suffer from recurring bouts of candida vaginitis on an annual basis. So up to, up to 10%, approximately 8 to 10% of women who are prone to yeast infections will have recurring bouts of candida vaginitis. And if we look at lifetime um, development of recurrent candida vaginitis, it's almost 400 million women worldwide. So it's a very common entity and uh, the burden worldwide is enormous. So the impact of recurring bouts of candida vaginitis defined as at least three episodes in the previous 12 months is very profound, having psychological consequences, Women who suffer from recurring bouts are prone to depression, stress, anxiety, feel stigmatized, loss of confidence, self-esteem. It certainly has an impact on their intimacy you know, in relation to sexual function. Likewise, daily activities may, would, or, uh, may be affected. And medical care is often embarrassing and um, just... Uh, patients become frustrated by the repetitive nature of these attacks and the fact that they sense that the care their caregivers do not attach any importance and trivialize this process of recurrent candida vaginitis. So it's important to recognize that the fundamental cause of candida vaginitis and recurring vaginitis recurring bouts of candida vaginitis is the genetic susceptibility. This is undoubtedly a genetic disorder, not a single gene such as you might see in hemophilia or sickle cell disease, but multiple polymorphisms in several genes. It's polymorphic and polygenic. And uh, this underlying predisposition is found in virtually all women who suffer from candida vaginitis. We separate this underlying mechanism to the precipitating factors, 
or triggers for an acute episode of candida vaginitis, such as the prior use of an antibiotic. The by far the commonest and uh, most easily recognized trigger for a, an acute attack of candida vaginitis is prior use of antibiotics. Uncontrolled diabetes is an important factor, but not nearly of the same importance and prevalence as antibiotic use. Controversial is the potential of obesity to be a risk factor, not a major factor. Many, many women well within the normal BMI standards are prone to recurrent candida vaginitis. Use of either topical or systemic corticosteroids, and I would emphasize topical steroids frequently prescribed um, to control pruritus may be the trigger for the candida vaginitis. Pregnancy is, uh, is associated with an increased frequency of candida vaginitis, as is the immunosuppressive therapy in, in immunocompromised patients. Finally, frequently unrecognized is the importance of estrogen therapy, both topical and systemic, percutaneous or oral, or the, simply the use of oral contraceptives, an important risk factor, but not an important treatment component. However, in postmenopausal women, recurring bouts of candida vaginitis are almost invariably related to the use of hormone replacement therapy. So let's talk about some of the challenges facing both patients and practitioners seeing women with VVC and recurring vulvar vaginal candidiasis. You can't simply look at a patient and make a diagnosis. And unfortunately, diagnosis, which is largely required use of a microscope, pH measurement, and a variety of uh, <clears throat> um, bedside tests are frequently not performed. Physicians don't have the time order an available microscope or a working microscope. You simply can't look at a patient at discharge and make a diagnosis. Um, as a result of which, there's both under-recognition, under-diagnosis, as well as over-diagnosis of candida vaginitis. It also follows that patients cannot reliably self-diagnose and therefore not self-treat. And yet there's an extraordinary amount of incorrect and inappropriate overuse of over-the-counter antifungal agents which in their own rights may, may cause symptomatology resembling an attack of candida vaginitis, furthering the misdiagnosis of this entity. Misdiagnosis is unfortunately the name of the game. There are no uh, FDA-approved treatments for recurring bouts of candida vaginitis. And, and over the last three decades, few treatment options have emerged, so practitioners and patients alike have the same medications available for one episode after the other with all their adverse effects and contraindications. Not surprisingly, therefore, if you can't modify either the triggering mechanisms or the underlying genetic factors, recurrent ra recurrence rates are high. And uh, there's often a problem of compliance and adherence to the various maintenance regimens. So, unfortunately, microscopy diagnostic tests are just not sensitive enough. Physicians don't have the time, and this leads to frequent over- and under-diagnosis. You can make up for the lack of sensitivity and specificity of these tests by performing a culture. Cultures are, almost, cultures are in fact, advised 
and recommended when you suspect the patient has candida vaginitis, particularly when a, you see a symptomatic patient with a normal vaginal pH of 4 to 4.5, and your microscopy is negative, under these circumstances, a culture is mandatory. On the other hand, if you, on, on microscopy, find that the, the hyphae and the budding yeast are freely evident, one doesn't routinely have to perform a culture. Cultures usually take two to three days. Their advantage is they do identify species if requested. And uh, unfortunately, if a patient's been given an antifungal or taken an antifungal agent prior, immediately prior to the clinical evaluation, you may get false negative results. And, uh, but cultures are crucial in women with recurrent disease when you're talking about refractory and, re, and uh, potential resistance of the candida microorganisms. Now, let's spend just a few minutes talking about pathophysiology of candida vaginitis. And uh, it's important to recognize that the very first phase is the colonization of the vagina by yeast if one does a point prevalence study at any given time in non-pregnant women, we'll find that 15 to 20% of the women are culture positive and asymptomatic. This is simple asymptomatic colonization with the vagina tolerating the presence usually of low numbers of yeast. And if one cultures women on a longitudinal basis over many months and years, we find that virtually 80% of women over many, many years will, uh, will be colonized either on a permanent basis, on a persistent basis, or infrequently. So colonization is the first prerequisite, the yeast invariably originating from the gastrointestinal tract. The uh, development of an acute episode of candida vaginitis, whether it's a sporadic episode or a recurring episode, three to four attacks per year, occurs as a result of a precipitating or trigger mechanism. If the genetic predisposition is profound and strong, then the triggers are less important, and you may get non-trigger related episodes of candida vaginitis. In other words, you simply do not recognize what has triggered the episode. For many of the women who have a sporadic episode of candida vaginitis, you can trigger, recognize the trigger, a recent course of antibiotics, use of local topical antibiotics uh, or topical steroids. And um, I didn't mention earlier the role of sexual frequency and sexual activities can certain, certainly uh, alter the milieu of the vulvovaginal area and trigger an episode of candida vaginitis. When one treats the acute episode, whether it's sporadic or recurrent, the treatment um, is essentially the same during the acute episode. But long to what is really important is that genetic factors will drive the likelihood of a recurring and recurrent episode. And as I mentioned earlier, when the genetic predisposition is profound and strong, you often will not identify any triggering mechanisms. We then, for patients who have recurrent disease, recommend long-term maintenance suppressive therapy, which is aimed at controlling the recurring nature of this infection and doesn't achieve cure and shouldn't achieve cure if there is a strong predisposing genetic underlying mechanism. So lo let's look at a sporadic acute episode and compare it to recurrent episodes. Sporadic episodes are less than three attacks per year. 
with um, recurrent disease at three or more episodes per year. It may occur chronically on a long-term basis where patients have symptoms almost on a daily basis in some chronic uh, patients. With the acute sporadic, you're more likely to find the, uh, the triggering mechanisms. You may not find any triggering mechanisms in women with a strong, um, who are, have a strong genetic predisposition with the recurring episodes. We will see for an, the treatment for the acute episode is the same, whether you've got a sporadic acute attack or recurrent acute attack. For recurrent disease, one does need to prescribe a long-term maintenance basis. With both, both kinds of infections, there's resolution of acute symptoms, but with recurrent disease, <clears throat> the patient is prone to get a recurring episode within a matter of weeks or months. So let's talk about currently available therapy. I wanted to emphasize that prior to the availability of the two new agents that I'm going to talk about, the azoles have dominated therapy topically with occasional use of nystatin or um, occasional use of, of boric acid. But the, the class of the azoles, myconazole, terconazole, clotrimazole, teoconazole, butoconazole, all topically have dominated therapy. Although over the last 30 years, we've seen how fluconazole orally as well as itraconazole or sporanox, which is not available in many countries, have been the only drugs available. And we had an empty pipe, um, pipeline for this uh, um, for a prolonged period of time. In the next slide, it's been very useful for, practitioner, for practitioners to distinguish between uncomplicated and complicated candida vaginitis. This has a, an enormous impact on both the dose and duration of antifungal therapy. So let's define what we mean by uncomplicated candida vaginitis. These would be women with infrequent sporadic attacks, three or less, less than three attacks per year, usually caused by candida albicans infection. In fact, in greater than 90% of the episodes of candida vaginitis. These would be women with mild to moderate symptoms and a healthy immunocompetent host. It follows that women with uncomplicated infections would require lower doses and shorter duration of therapy. Complicated BVC, on the other hand, refers to women who are infected with non-albicans candida species because these species tend to be less sensitive to antifungal agents, certainly the azole group. A second category of complicated infections include those women who have severe signs and symptoms, erythema, edema, excoriation, facial formation, because the severity of infection implies more tissue involvement and they would be better served by getting more prolonged therapy than a single dose that fits the uncomplicated category. Women with recurrent infections, the treatment of each episode is the same they should be treated as if they have an uncomplicated infection. But we put them in this category because they need a maintenance regimen because their problem is that they're going to have a recurrence of signs and symptoms within a matter of weeks. Similarly, a patient who has underlying uncontrolled diabetes is HIV infected and un 
as a viral load that's uncontrolled or an immunosuppressors will need more prolonged therapy. With that background into uncomplicated and complicated, we see that for uncomplicated infection, you could use a topical agent for one to five days, and you could use any of the over-the-counter agents because they're all of equal efficacy. Or as the FDA has approved, you could use a single dose of fluconazole 150 milligrams once a day. In, in contrast, you would not use that regimen for complicated categories. Here you have to extend a topical agent for seven days and if not longer, and you can see the various um, <clears throat> approval in entities have designated up to 14 days. Or if you're going to use fluconazole, you've got to use three doses given every, 17, uh, every 72 hours, um, either two or three doses. And if you have recurrent disease, you're going to put the patient onto a maintenance regimen of fluconazole, 150 milligrams once weekly for six months. So talking about the challenges or the limitations of fluconazole treatment, we've seen increased reports of antifungal resistance, particularly with the non-albicant species. Most importantly, we see this with Candida gabbrata. We see it with Candida cruzii and a Candida parapsilosis. But now we're starting to see fluconazole resistance in women that have had significant exposure in the past. We're seeing it with C. albicans. Fluconazole also is not without its problems. Hair loss is an important, uh, un uh, unavoidable and uh, complication and uh, often not recognized by physicians and physicians don't ask about it. Rarely one sees hepatic toxicity. Drug-drug interactions are fortunately uncommon at the doses we use for candida vaginitis. But most importantly, fluconazole is contraindicated in all trimesters of pregnancy and should not be used. There's been a tendency among practitioners to avoid its use in the first trimester, but to use it freely in the second and third, and this should not be allowed. Just to recall that um, once a patient has recurring candida vaginitis, if you use a maintenance regimen, the limitation of the maintenance regimen has been that when you stop therapy after six months, 50% are going to recur within six months, and virtually the majority will recur within a matter of a few more months. So you do not cure recurrent candida vaginitis with fluconazole maintenance therapy. So um, let's talk about what's available in the pipeline now. I'd like to talk about two new drugs not yet available commercially, hopefully available in the first or second quarter of 2021. The first is OTA-Siconazole, or OTA-Siconazole, previously called VT1161. This, like other azoles, and it's an azole cousin, is an ergosterol synthesis inhibitor interacting and preventing um, synthesis of ergosterol in the cell wall of the of yeast. It specifically, this otisoconazole selectively, and highly selectively, inhibits the same CYP, the CYP51 fungal enzymes as fluconazole, but it spares the human enzyme 
and therefore drug reactions and adverse effects are less likely to occur. Its oral availability, bioavailability is excellent in 73% with a very prolonged interval longer than 48 hours and lasting several weeks. It has high levels of penetration into the vaginal tissue with concentrations in vaginal tissue twice as high as those the one can demonstrate in plasma. <clears throat> it was granted FDA qualified ID product, fast track designation for recurrent candida vaginitis. And most of the studies have really focused on recurrent candida vaginitis. So the, the, I'd like to tell you about the revived study of, with otisoconazole. This was a phase 2B dose ranging study. This is a study where you take women with recurrent candida vaginitis and you need to determine the optimal dose and duration and frequency of administration of your antifungal agent. In the, in the revived study, uh, there were 176 women um, enrolled shortly after screening when found with recurrent candida vaginitis. They were given an induction regimen of fluconazole, three doses, 150 milligrams, every 72 hours for three, three doses. The return, and if asymptomatic, were, they, were then randomized uh, to several doses of otisoconazole, either 150 or 300 milligrams per day for seven days, followed by weekly regimens, once weekly, as with fluconazole, uh, similar to the way fluconazole is dosed, or placebo for 12 weeks in, in, in two arms or for twice as long, 23 weeks, in two other arms. The matching placebo received 24 weeks. As you can see, the in the placebo group, the 50 more than 50% of the women had a recurrence of candida vaginitis in the ITT population, whereas the frequency associated with all four arms with otisoconazole, whether they received the drug for 12 or 24 weeks, was extraordinarily low. The p-values were all very highly significant. And you can see the difference in, <clears throat> in this slide showing the marked difference in the attack rates. So you can see a, a recurrence in the, in the, the four arms of the uh, otisoconazole was extremely limited, whereas more than 50% of the women receiving placebo by 28 weeks were... Um, had had a symptomatic episode. This allowed the company to decide on the regimen that they were going to use, and because there was really no major difference in the various arms and the duration of therapy, because you can see the protection was already achieved with a much shorter duration of therapy than fluconazole. There were a few side effects, not really serious. Uh, urinary tract infection and BV, and none of these are hardly any side effects. There were no drug-related serious adverse effects in any of the treatment arm. And um, the data of a follow-up study, similar to the revived study, following a woman for one year is not yet finally... Um, been haven't been finalized and the data should be uh, available by the end of this year and as we said we hope the drug will be available sometime next year. Otisoconazole was also studied in acute candida vaginitis in, an, in a comparison study of, of similarly a dose ranging study 
compared to fluconazole, they compared 300, 600 milligrams once a day or twice a day versus fluconazole. And as you can see, at the test of cure at 28 days, you look firstly at fluconazole. There'd been a really, um, you, this is the cure rate was about, it was 66%, uh, which was lower than the, than the 600 milligrams either daily or twice daily for the, uh, um, <clears throat> given once, once a day with otisoconazole. And so it's really the, the benefits really appeared later. Not within at the first benefit at the first follow-up visit, and you can see the improvement at um, at the test of cure date. So, just to summarise, these are their ongoing studies. They still have they are still con doing an uh, open label acute treatment for all patients with um, otisoconazole, and then there are the recurrence um, studies either um, with placebo or against uh, fluconazole, which are ongoing, and we hope to see these results within a few months. Okay, so finally, I'm going to talk about the other new agent, hopefully to be available early in 2021, a not an azole like otisoconazole, a totally different class of agent, it's the first-in-class tritopinoid agents. It's un, um, it is a glucan synthetase or glucan synthase inhibitor. It is a, a, attacks a binding site similar to the echinocandins, but the echinocandins, which most practitioner, practitioners are, are familiar with, were only available intravenously. This is an oral agent. And... Likewise, because it is a, has a different mechanism of action, has the potential for far less drug-drug interactions than fluconazole did. It has excellent oral bioavailability at 35 to 51%, with greater absorption with high-fat foods. It, like otisoconazole, prolonged half-life, 20 to 30 hours, not quite as long as otisoconazole, and excellent high levels of penetration into vaginal tissues. It's a one to nine plasma to vaginal tissue concentration. It is in completed phase two trials for acute candida vaginitis, and phase three trials are now ongoing for both acute, sporadic vulvovaginal candidiasis and recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis. As you see in this figure, in contrast to the uh, interfering with the egosterol synthesis, which is the involvement uh, of otisoconazole, ibrexafungops acts on as a glucose, a glucan synthetase inhibitor, if, uh, similar, uh, similarly affecting the cell wall. Its mechanism is uh, very similar to that of the echinocandins. Let's look at abraxafungib and compare it to fluconazole. It is uh, with obviously different mechanisms of action. It is a sidle drug, whereas fluconazole is, and all the azoles are static agents. And it's very active against many of the azole resistant species. And most importantly, Fluconazole works less well at the normal vaginal pH of 4 to 4.5, 
whereas abraxifungib is not affected by the uh, pH and does extremely well at that low pH. The vaginal tissue to plasma ratio, one-to-one for fluconazole, nine-to-one with abraxifungib. Fetal toxicity, most important, not found with abraxifungib, and fluconazole is contraindicated throughout pregnancy. Evidence of QTC prolongation, uncommon but definitely described with fluconazole, not present with abraxifungib. Similarly, no evidence of any liver toxicity or ever elevated hepatic transaminases with abraxifungib. Both agents potentially a single day dosing per se. So in the phase 2b Dove study, this was a randomized multi-center double-blind dose-ranging study (coughs) comparing oral ibroxifungib with fluconazole. These were women with moderate to severe acute VVC. So if you had mild disease, you weren't able to be enrolled. uh, There was clinical cure at 10 and just over 30 days. Abraxifungib, they were studied at three and one days and at different doses from 150 to 750 milligrams. And fluconazole as uh, required as an FDA-approved dosage, a single dose. And you can see that at day 10, the results were almost identical with a single day treatment with abraxifungib and fluconazole. But it was at day 25, you saw the dramatic difference spread. And this increase, this difference actually continues to increase with time. So that there was acute mycological eradication rates are almost identical. It's a, you see the differences start to emerge by day 25, reflecting both the activity of the agent as well as the consequences of having a longer half-life. Generally well uh, tolerated and very safe no serious adverse effects. These were very mild, a very low incidence of mild to moderate GI effect, and none of the patients needed to be removed from the study. So abroxifungib has now got several ongoing studies for both acute and recurrent candida vaginitis. They've, as a result of the dose-ranging studies, they've established that the optimal dose is 300 milligrams by mouth twice a day, but on one day only. And it's being studied matched to placebo, with with and for acute candida vaginitis, the uni you need to have clinical cure rates on day eight to fourteen. So what of what has been found with the vanish studies? This is a phase three study where the dose is already established. These were patients who had moderate to severe episodes, with they were KOH positive, and uh, the test of cure day was day eleven with a follow-up day at day 25. This is the more important date to follow. At the primary, um, the uh, these were the endpoints used, the percentage of patients with clinical cure, as well as the, uh, the mycological eradication rates, and the, patient, the percentage of patients who had therapeutic cures, by which mean they had complete resolution of symptoms and had a negative culture. As you can see there in the, the two groups, this is a two-to-one um, <clears throat> enrollment ratio. The, uh, they, they were, the, the, the two groups were two arms of the study were extremely well matched, particularly in relation to the candida albicans is the most common species. 
And you can see the clinical cure rates looking for odds ratio of Q and statistical significance compared to placebo. The Abraxi fungi, 300 milligrams single day therapy was statistically superior to placebo. Highly significant difference in eradication of organisms, 50% almost compared to 20%. And the clinical improvement was dramatically different. Uh, particularly when you um, when you use the a, a another criteria, in other words, you allowed us a, a score of one to be present, which is the more realistic cure. So now you've got two thirds of women responding at the early uh, evaluation date, and with um, looking at sixty percent cure rates on day twenty five, dramatically uh, statistically uh, superior to placebo. Safety was was really exceptional, really minimal, low incidence, and almost never required discontinuation of therapy. So let's just look at both drugs versus fluconazole. Both have long, long half-lives, which are going to have a dramatic effect on long-term benefits and the maintenance regimens. Both achieve very high concentrations in vaginal tissue because what we've learned is that vaginal tissue concentrations are as important as the vaginal lumen per se. Both of them have highly uh, uh, well-tolerated and both these drugs are active against azole, the resistant strains of, of the drugs that are resistant to fluconazole, particularly in the non-albicans candida species, but even those candida albicans isolates that are resistant to fluconazole. So they're going to be very valuable against this category of patients, those who have antifungal resistance. And we hope to show that they're going to have fewer recurrence-free uh, rates compared to fluconazole, which is the standard of care for recurrent disease. And there are two ongoing studies. So thank you for your attention. I'll be available to answer any questions. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this presentation. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Omnia. Thank you for listening.